Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing Cushiel's Dart by Jacqueline Carey, An Unnatural Vice by KJ Charles, and A Small Fistful of Fanfic. And welcome to episode 17 of Bump in the Night, the sexy kind. I'm Alex, the Eglantine house one. I'm Freya, the Dahlia house one. And I'm Macy. And Alex says I'm the heliotrope house one. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And today we're talking about bumping uglies. No worries, we're definitely going to have that taxonomy argument later, Macy. (laughs) Would we let you down, dear listeners? But first, what are we reading, fellow serpents? Well, I have read in the past month... 14 books because I have been Jesus. on holidays and I read uh, yeah. I mean, you've had that all that time on airplanes and stuff. So yeah. Yeah. There were, there was lots of flights. I went to America and I met Alex Yay! for the first time. Yay! It was lovely. And then I went to Europe for a while. So yes, there were lots of plane rides, lots of train rides, lots of reading. And you met our darling scribe, right? You were hanging out in sunny Paris. Yes. I went and hung out in Paris with our darling scribe Magali and I sat on her couch and we watched lots of leverage. It was lovely. It's a good vacation. It was a very good vacation or holiday Mm. rather. Uh, I will single out two of the books that I read because they are vaguely relevant to today's theme. Uh, I read Sarah Coon's second book in her heroine series, Heroine Worship. Uh, which is in the sort of modern day San Francisco superheroes with lots of friendship and romance and ridiculous uh, fighting possessed wedding dresses. What? All right. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> they're, they're heaps of fun, those books. Talk about Bridezilla. Yeah, well, exactly, exactly. Uh, and the other book I'll mention is Alyssa Cole's book, A Duke by Default, which is, uh, Alyssa Cole is one of the romance authors that I really like. Uh, and this is one about uh, a sort of hot mess socialite who decides to go to Scotland and become the apprentice to a grumpy blacksmith, essentially. And I know it's got lots of like small town fun. Uh, the main character is amazing. It was really good. And it's a sexy book I've, as well. I've heard really good things about that one. It is. It's the second in the um, Reluctant Royals series. And the first one was fun. It was a sort of uh, modern day... African kingdom kind of Black Panthery, but without the superheroes. Cool. Uh, but I really liked this one. This was this was really good. The, the Duke by default. Anyway, Macy, your turn. What have you been reading? I have read in the past two and a bit weeks absolutely nothing because nice. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I'm a mess. It's no, a you've been on vacation. I, I felt to find vacation. I was on three work trips simultaneously. Does that count? Yes, it does. Yes, actually, uh-huh. it does. Worldcon is not a vacation. I will fight you. Worldcon's not. Yeah, no. Worldcon is totally a work trip. Yes. Um. So I've been traveling a whole bunch, and I've been writing like a possessed person. I somehow wrote from start to finish a six and a half thousand word short story in two weeks, which I've never I'm done so before. Proud, Macy. Listen, you managed okay. something more than 5,000 words long. I hate you so much. <laughs> so the context here, <laughs> listeners, is how Freya and I met. <laughs> Which was Freya on Tumblr, in, in, as close to, to whining as our darling Freya ever gets, going, oh God, I have this story and it's so long. It's so long. Why can't it be shorter? And I'm like, I will come snip it down to size with you with my scissors. And I did. And I am incapable of writing above about a thousand words. So we have this long running thing where I am the short fic disaster by writing too short and Freya is the short fic disaster by writing too long. Yeah. Also me, I can't make my point with in fewer than like 140,000 words. Uh, Whereas this time I will note that the cap for this call was 7,000 words. So you did it. You did it. I did Very it. good. I did it. I wrote my my tiny lesbian cannibals, and they're lovely, and they're zombies, and it's great. 
So yes, that's why I didn't read anything. I was writing instead. Totally, totally legitimate. Uh, I also (laughs) did not really read anything because I was on vacation slash work trip also to Worldcon, which we will mention in a moment here. Uh, But I did play about 80 hours of Dragon Age Inquisition (laughs) while I was at my friend Ryan's house in LA. If you listened to the last episode about horror, then you have already met Ryan. Uh, I was at their house and they insisted that I play Dragon Age Inquisition and now I have. And this is sort of like the the next step in the the ongoing plot arc of the last few months. <laughs> you said it a little bit backwards, didn't you? No, this is a totally legitimate way to experience a fandom. Uh huh. Yeah. So That's I true. yeah, and Macy and I both mentioned that we were at the Hugos. Uh, shall we recap that briefly? Sure. Uh, we were at the Hugos, and it was awesome. What are they? Oh, so the Hugo Awards are kind of are one of the uh, biggest and most prestigious awards given out in the science fiction and fantasy community. They happen at Worldcon, uh, which happens every August in a different location. This year it was in San Jose. I think that Alex is missing the most important fact about the Hugo Awards. Wh- what is that? They look like giant silver dildos. Okay, they're spaceships. That's a very important thing. They're spaceships. (laughs) And the fact that all the award, the fact that all the the uh, Hugo finalists get special training in how to hold them so they don't appear like they're dildos is completely beside the point. They, they, there is no way to hold them to make them not appear like a dildo. The special training is so that you don't look like you're fisting it. Yes, or giving it a tit job. That That's the other problem. The, 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 the winners did not entirely uniformly succeed. No one ever succeeds. No one ever succeeds. It's her tradition. I feel like you just have to lean in and just like go completely the other direction. Be like, here is my space dildo. I'll just stand here, smile. Sarah Gailey might have handed me theirs, which was a tactical error. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. How are you meant to resist? Let's be honest. This is actually like really on brand and like on topic for our topic today. <laughs> yes. So let's just segue right into it. We're talking about sex today and But why? Why are we talking about it and why do we put sex in fiction? Well, personally, other than it's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. Personally, from my point of view, I put sex in fiction because it took me 15 years of writing fan fiction to learn how to write sex <laughs> without like having a rash at the word. Like I would type the word cock and I'd be like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And so I slowly, slowly, actually, I was going to say, hmm, drinking game. The thing that managed to get me over the line was surprise writing Captain Prince fanfic because I just really, really needed the characters to bone down. And so. I mean, I was was actually going to say you're kind of Spider's Georg as it comes to like learning to write sex because your first fic is one of the ones that's up, right? That was the first time you wrote anything anything R-rated. Uh, which one? The first Captain the, Prince? Yes, the first Smarty Captain yes. Prince one. Yeah, yeah, it was the first time I'd written yeah, anything that was and actually it, properly explicit. And it's fucking fabulous. Yeah. And it's one so of like, the, I think that was probably rude. one of the first fics I'd read of yours, too. Like, it's one of... It so, has... But what about you, Alex? Why, why sex? So I don't really write sex I try to write sex and then I like have a breakdown and I go crying to Freya and I'm like Freya please help me write the scene and then Freya writes the scene for me and says put it in your own words and I'm like thank you I love you what I'm really good at is writing hand-holding scenes what's so great about that is like I think the physicality of emotion because when we're reading things we're exercising empathy And when we feel the sort of things that the characters feel, and this goes back to horror as well, like it's a visceral kind Mm -hmm. of thing, which is very um, exciting to experience. I think that's a good point because having explicit things in the things that we write, it is a way to invoke a physical response in the reader. And for me, I think if you're looking for, you don't necessarily have to have a physical response for me, the really good sex scenes are not necessarily the ones where you're like, yes, this is very sexy, I am turned on now. Um, and honestly, if that's the entire point of a sex scene, if it's just, and now, sex, then that's the kind of thing that I might actually skip over, if, unless it's written very well. 
because for me the whole point of a sex scene is that there's another way of developing character which I'm going to talk about a little bit more later on yeah I think yeah absolutely. relational intimacy and emotional intimacy between characters as well as as individuals right yeah but certainly when you're thinking about it in in fanfic it is that uh, we've talked about this before but you're going into fanfic for any particular pairing with an pre-existing emotional investment and yet there will be so many stories for this pairing that everyone is going into kind of already sold on and in that sense i think the sex scenes in fic will often be i want to explore this particular dynamic or i want to yeah have that empathy of this is a the experience that i want them to be having because as we know fanfic contains probably a higher percentage of sex than profic would, would you say that's a reasonable assertion certainly the fics that i do ah. that i read do <laughs> yeah and i i completely agree with you on that and a lot of times I think one of the reasons that romance novels and fanfic get discounted a lot is related to why horror films get discounted because it's one of those visceral body reactions and therefore it's counted as lesser somehow. Additionally, there's another layer on top of that for romance novels and fanfic, which is that women read it or yeah. Yeah. And Pink-washed. yeah, exactly. And so then it's gross and girly and oh women having sexy feelings like we don't like that at all as a society gross exactly. and talking about for some some meta for a moment or meta meta the thing that we're doing with this podcast is to say look fanfic isn't just like the quote-unquote trash that you think it is but if it were that would be right. fine because what i never ever i would love to see fanfic get to a place where we can have it be more respected but i never ever ever want to see fanfic become respectable in the sense of being like good and clean and acceptable to the whole well acceptable is the wrong word acceptable to the patriarchy i, I don't we say. think it's, it's quite so much the patriarchy as it is puritan right mm, it's, yes. it's it's mm. a purity thing sex is a taboo yeah mm. Yeah, and I think that's why you have this weird, I don't know if it's a divide so much as a spectrum between anything where the sex scenes are explicitly there for the purpose of being sexy, which in fic they usually are, in romance novels they usually are, versus sex in capital L literary fiction, mm. where if a sex scene is explicitly sexy, it's it probably isn't there. Like the sex scenes that are put into literary fictions are usually there as an exercise in how weird can this metaphor get? And my favorite demonstration of this is the Bad Sex yes. Awards, which the literary review runs every year. Um, and we are going to put a link to the finalists from 2017. There is some glorious shit in there, but it is, you know, literary. Oh my god! You read them and you're like, "Have you ever had sex with a person? What? What is wrong? Where did this metaphor come from? It's so uncomfortable sounding." Are you all right? Mm -hmm. Are you all right? Well, you know, this is this is the literary establishment. This is the way that I don't know old white men in the mid, in their middle age contemplating their mortality and dreaming about having sex with younger women decide to write about sex, and it's just a really really uncomfortable set of choices all around. Did we want to read an example? Let's read yes. that as the, do we want to read it now or do we want to keep it for the last line of the episode? We can, we can save it. We can, let me use a word that is going to make you both shudder. We can titillate our listeners. My skin just literally crawled. My skin just literally actually crawled. Let's move on to the fucking tentpole, you monster. There is nothing wrong with the word titillate, Alex. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. It's nice to know you have such strong feelings about it. No. Yes, let's talk about our first tentpole. So our Alex. first tentpole is the amazing Kushiel's Dark by Jacqueline Carey. I have not read this fic in probably 10 years, possibly Book. more than 10 years at this point. Say what? You called it a fic. Did I say fic? I meant book. <laughs> Jesus, that's where my brain's at today. It's just so good that we assume it's just that it's a so fic. good. So I haven't read this book in probably more than ten years, as I said, and it is a fantasy book that is set in a quote-unquote second world, 
Uh, but it's a second world that's very much yeah. constructed. Well, it's basically it's alternate France. It's alternate France. Yeah, yeah, alternate world France. You're right. And and if you have a look at the map on the front, it's basically here is Europe. Yeah. Here are some names for the countries. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and in this alternate France, in alternate Paris, there is the Night Court, which is a the religion that they have is based on the son of Jesus, whose biggest tenant was love as thou wilt. And so they have a much lower instance of uh, sex-related shame and no homophobia and every people can be bisexual and that's not a problem. And the courtesans of the night court, which are these 12 guilds of prostitutes, essentially, are basically priestesses and like religious servants rather mm -hmm. than just sex workers. And they do a lot of other things in addition to the sex work. But mm -hmm. the sex work is like the integral and foundational part of it. And it's a respected profession. Oh, yes. Like, it's highly. Not, I wouldn't know if they call it as like a high class profession, but it's very much something that it's, it's so inbuilt into the world that there is again no shame attached to you know what we you know using prostitutes because everyone's like yeah yeah if you want to uh, engage someone and in this particular house to. then that's yep. what you do love as thou wilt yeah yeah so we love a taxonomy we do and macy was gonna argue with me about the the way that i sorted us into the night courthouses today well, i was i was going to argue with mine because you chose heliotrope from me and I see in your notes here it's because heliotrope adepts are, ade are skilled at creating the illusion of unwavering devotion and loyalty to their patrons. And I gather this is because I am the Slytherin. It's the, the reason that I picked this one. It's a little bit of an interpretation. Mm -hmm. I just want to explain that. It's because you meet each person on their own terms mm. and you engage with them on the level that they want to meet you at rather than engaging with them or getting them to come to your level hmm. that's why i picked that one i could see that more somewhat i was actually thinking more towards orcus the house of laughter and jokes that's a good one too i think that was probably going to be my second choice for you <laughs> but the, the yeah. general idea of all of these houses is they have a particular interpretation as to why the so basically the religion has 12 angels who are essentially saints uh, in this religion, and the patron of the night court is Namar, who laid down in the market uh, for coin in order to save their god. And so they each have different interpretations as to why she did it. And so, for example, Orcus would say she did it for a joke. Um, yeah. And the other two that I picked, I said that uh, Freya is absolutely Dahlia House. I don't, I can't see a better fit for Freya than this because their whole thing is dignity. The wiki says Dahlia adepts are known to be haughty, reserved, and dignified, keeping with the canon of their house, which that's our Freya. Yep, I have no arguments there. Yep. <laughs> Uh, and then my uh, my house was Eglantine, the house of performance and creativity. As the wiki says, its adepts are all trained to the arts, such as writing, singing, dancing, music, acting, or sewing. And I do have a lot of like skills. Like I'm kind of like the skills guy. Uh, there's a streak of quote madcap genius unquote in the house, and children are encouraged to behave in ways that would be frowned upon in other houses. And the thing about the idea of having these houses and that the use of them and the patronage of them being so public is that to a certain extent, and with some of the exceptions being some of the houses that have to do with submission or dominance or pain, you are admitting to the world and admitting you know, publicly or at least semi-publicly semi uh, what it is that you yourself uh, enjoy about sex or sexual relationships. Well, one thing that I actually wanted to take a step back from the world building of sex and talk about um, sex in this as a book because those two things to me are kind of different, right? And I think that it's fascinating how this book uses and treats sex as a tool for the main character to wield, as sometimes as a weapon um, and sometimes otherwise, but it's definitely one of her skills and there is no shame or denigration of her for doing that. And I think that that's something fairly unique, particularly when you're looking at a female character. Yes, very mm -hmm. much. And by the way, spoilers in advance yes. for uh, anyone who hasn't read this book. We may be discussing some things. 
yeah, the, there's a scene towards the middle of the book where she has sex with her loyal retainer, Jocelyn, because yes, this book does have some fealty shit this going on. This book has literally every Alex Bate trope that exists. Jesus It was Christ. amazing reading it for the first time in like yeah, 10, 15 years. And, and I just kept hitting things. I'm like, oh, look, oh, that's, okay, for that's where Alex got that. <laughs> oh, yep, Alex. That's where yep, Alex yep. got that. And that's where Alex got that. This book was so formative for me. Yes, and Alcuin. Don't talk to me about Alcuin. So that scene where Alcuin fakes his death and moves to the countryside to live on a farm and chase bunny rabbits and butterflies around the fields all day. Gosh, sure, that was a great See, scene. I hit, I hit the mendicants and I was like, oh, this is where the chants come from. Okay, it's not where the chants come from, but it was definitely like one of the like proto sparks of chants. Pieces, yeah. The big thing that I got from this book was weaponized submission twinks. Yes. Because yeah. Alcuin fakes his death and I refuse to hear anything otherwise and i think i first read this book when i was like 16 and when i was reading it i remember that going like this is not okay i don't like this i'm mad about this this character deserves better and so like subconsciously i must have just like packed him into a suitcase and like dragged him away with me because now i'm writing him all over the place he's in conspiracy uh he's in another book that i'm writing right now he's all all the fuck over the place alcohol is jesus christ I mean, I think I read it probably a little bit older than you, but not much. And I can remember being kind of ashamed by the cover to read it in public and like ashamed to like recommend it to people because I thought that it was amazing epic fantasy, which it is. The first trilogy I hold up as one of the best examples of epic fantasy with a female main character that I have ever seen. But I was like, oh no, it is such filth. I cannot possibly admit to having read this and recommend it to other people, which is its own thing. But because it's not actually a very filthy it's book. Not. Like, it's not. The sex scenes in it are not very explicit. They're not at all. It's, be- it's because the sex is so deeply baked into the world building and it, there's so l- little shame around things that people would associate being shameful, especially because the main character, I don't think we've addressed that yet, um, her whole thing is that she is born to be an anguissette, which means that she associates pain and pleasure. And so she is a very pure sexual masochist, essentially. Yeah, I just wanted to make a really quick point that like this scene is not filthy because the sex in the book is not dirty because sex isn't dirty. So there are no taboos. I, I Actually, I'm going to say something a little bit different because that is definitely true and part of it. Like yep. sex in the book is never treated as dirty, but also by our world standards, it's not particularly explicit. Well, no. also, you're, you're right. Also that. Yeah. Um, I found interesting that if you look at all the sex scenes in the book, the ones where she is actually most explicit are the ones where sex is either transactional or coerced. Mm-hmm. Uh, so her early scenes about when she is working as um, a courtesan, uh, working as a prostitute, and the scenes in the middle of the book where she has essentially been sold into slavery and um, the sex is essentially non-consensual. Those are the scenes where she actually got the most explicit about things yep. like phalluses yes. and what the sexual acts were. And then when she's describing sex that she's having that is actually personal for her, right. mm-hmm. that's where she gets, not necessarily coy, but she outright sort of says, you know, what passed between us is nobody's business. And there's actually a very serious narration frame thing going on there where she says, I will talk frankly about the sex that I had that was not personal to me, but the sex that I had with my retainer and the sex that she has with her best friend later in the book is a farewell. She does not go into that at all. And it's, it's showing you what the use of sex is in this book, because if it was you know, a romance or things like that, and the sex between people where the emotion was running high was important, you would see that. But for her, sex where emotion is running high is something very private, and that's what she doesn't talk about. And I think that that's a really great point, is the purpose of sex in an epic fantasy novel, which this is, is very different to the purpose of sex in other genres such as fic or romance, which I think leads us to the next tentpole that we wanted to talk about. So the next tentpole is a K.J. Charles book, and you've probably heard us mention K.J. Charles many times as one of our favourite romance authors. Uh, And this particular book is An Unnatural Vice. It is the second in a trilogy called The Sins of the Cities trilogy, but it obviously stands alone. It has its own romance in it, but it has the the, uh, plot going through it that is part of an overarching plot for this trilogy. And it is the romance between Nathaniel Roy, who is a sort of uptight, deeply, 
I guess not necessarily judgmental, but very moral. Person. He's very judgmental. He's kind of judgmental. He's self-righteous. He's, yeah, he's a very self-righteous, moralistic journalist who had a great love of his life, who then died, and he has been sort of alone and hurt and lonely uh, for a while. And the other person is my favorite asshole. Justin Lazarus, who is a fake spiritualist, which is one of the amazing things about the He's Victorian so era. If you, enjoy, if you enjoy Victorian spiritualism, this book has some amazing so shit in there about that. Uh, and he is an unrepentant manipulator and basically will use people's stories and pain to, you know, basically yeah, get money out of them by tricking them and conning them when it comes to spiritualism. He's great. He's, He's such a dick. He's so great. I love him. Uh, so that is an unnatural vice, and yes, it is a definitely a romance novel. It is a historical romance, and the sex scenes in it are definitely explicit. So what, what did you guys think of this book? I really admired how it brought us the length of the emotional connection from I super hate you to I'm really attracted to you, but I still think that you're despicable to I literally want to marry you in three sex scenes yeah yeah and i think the reason that that worked and the reason and katie charles is excellent at structuring romance she's written heaps of them and this is i think a very good example of them is because each of the sex scenes does something very specific mm -hmm. um, and a lot of romance novels that you'll read will have a sex scene at the 50 percent mark that does something and i went back and double checked there is no sex scene at the 50 percent mark in this book what happens at the 50 percent mark is the turn is always a turning point about halfway through and the turning point in this book has nothing to do with sex it's when justin goes yes. to nathaniel and asks for help which for him is a far and more because, intimate thing to do than to have sex yes absolutely and that because the dynamic that's set up in here like the first sex scene happens at the 34 percent mark uh, and it has nothing to do with you know tender feelings at that point it's a very sort of as you said an angry one it's about admitting to a mutual attraction um, and discovering a sexual compatibility and the character work that it does is to do with what Nathaniel himself where Nathaniel is at that point right. in time like this contrast between the old partner and the loving relationship and this sort of essentially sort of casual angry fighting sex scene with someone that he does not like and has not loaned known for very long um, but it's a I guess it's a foot in the door of his repressed need for um, intimacy and it's setting up a beginning point for them. And I think that one of the toolkits that I was noticing in the in KJ Charles um, toolbox, shall we say, was mm -hmm. a deep knowledge of body language. And I think maybe that's something that's very mm -hmm. key when you're writing sex scenes. If you want to convey personality and also emotion and connection, you need to be using people's bodies. You need to almost be choreographing um in a way that yes. conveys information because you can't rely on dialogue when you're fucking someone in quite the same yeah. way yeah oh look i mean i i personally have a great love of sex scenes that people talk all the way through and the reason why my sex scenes get very long is because my characters talk all the way this through. is also because you love Laurent. he doesn't talk that much in sex scenes no he gets really quiet in sex scenes anyway yeah. Uh, my character talks in the leader. But what you said about choreography is absolutely right because the third sex scene in Unnatural Vice, so there's one at 70% mark, which is um, showing pretty much how far they've come since the first one. It's more about explicit consent. It's about the fact that the power dynamic between them has shifted since the first one because there's a lot more awareness of class. Um, mm -hmm. And so it is actually more to do with Nathaniel being aware of the class difference and Justin explicitly asking for saying this is something that I want and you're not taking advantage of me. But the third sex scene, which happens quick, fairly quickly after that one, is the one on the banisters, which I absolutely love. But you're absolutely right. Such the a bad idea. It's such a bad idea. But the physical blocking of it is the mirror of what is happening emotionally. It is to do with right. trust on Justin's half and it is to do with support on Nathaniel's half. Yep. And, and it's also to do with KJ Charles' deep fondness for suicidal ideation. Does she? Okay, explain that. I, thought, I, I was like, whoa, okay. I still can't read um, the Magpie series anymore after the first book started the way it did. Oh, okay. okay. See, I wouldn't, th I wouldn't think of that as a K.J. Charles' deep fondness, but I think 
it is possibly a side effect of the fact that romance novels, the protagonists generally have something that is deeply hurting them. And I think if you're thinking about, I mean, you're right in well, that, yes, this Nathaniel is the third, has, this is the third has like, I've read. And I want to say even the second one also had some stuff about wanting to die. Okay. I must say, it hadn't occurred to me to think of it as a pattern, but I think there certainly are a few of her books where, yeah, where, where people start off in a bad way, or at least in the past have been in that much. Um, and I know, horror. Alex, you had some thoughts about death in this. Yes, temple. yes. Um, I, I think I'm going to have to, when I go back to read some more uh, K.J. Charles, because um, God knows I will definitely reread some more <laughs> K.J. Charles, I, I think I'm going to keep an eye out for that, because it wasn't something that I personally noticed, but it seems like it could be a thing. It's something I know, I'm aware that I'm particularly sensitive to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, in this book particularly, there's a huge intersection between death and sex because, uh, and it comes up, it comes up like everywhere because they have a murderer chasing them. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel's, uh, the love of his life died several years ago. Justin is a, a spiritualist. So like there's there's death everywhere in this book. Uh, and then like also in two of the three sex scenes, I'm going to say like, well, I'm not sure about the, the first one. So they have angry sex. They have sex where Justin is pretending to be quote unquote possessed as like a sex <laughs> game, which is so cute. That. I love that so one. Funny. That one was my favorite. Oh. And then they have sex. But there's over there's strangulation in the first one. Oh, is there? Yes. Or rather, there was the threat of. There was oh, okay. hand around neck with threat of. Cool. So there's death in okay. all three of these these sex scenes. Amazing. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and it gets, like, increasingly more present because, mm -hmm. like, what you were saying about, like, the threat of strangulation in the first one and then in the second one, like, he's more explicitly, like, pretending to be possessed by a dead spirit or the spirit of a person who is dead, I guess spirits themselves can't <laughs> yeah. be dead. I mean, I would, I would say that that scene is less about yeah, death. Like, yes. it's got that aspect it's of it. It's aspect. more about, it's about, it's more about role play and right. giving yourself an excuse to yes. ask for things that you want without having to be vulnerable. And it's more, like, giggly and fun, you know? Yeah. Like, he's yeah, doing it, it to be funny. Uh, it's lighthearted. And then in the, the final sex scene where they're having sex over a banister, over, like, a 30-foot drop... And Nathaniel says, I can't guarantee that this thing will hold. Uh, I, or I can't speak to the, the sturdiness the of these, of something yeah. like that. Yeah. Like he says, if they break, we both die. And it's a very <laughs> oh, well, real concern. It. Like, we're just going to do it anyway, though. <laughs> yeah, and also, yeah. like, during that sex scene, Justin is also thinking of Nate's former lover, who mm -hmm. is also dead. So, like, this, the, presence of death gets increasingly more yeah. present as they get more emotionally involved. And the emotional involvement there becomes explicit because it is again about this theme that we've talked about a lot with the idea of someone seeing you and loving you. And like Nathaniel explicitly says, I want you knowing who you are. Right. I've always known and I've always wanted you because there's this big back and forth throughout the whole book with the fact that Justin is a liar and a cheat and a con and that Nathaniel is so uh, upright and so moral and doesn't want to be the kind of person who loves the kind of person that Justin is, but he is admitting that he does. And I think that that's a huge piece of what sex can give you when it's good sex in the sense of emotionally intimate sex is the knowing mm. of someone else. It's back to the dragons episode again. There you go, Alex. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And this, and the, the progression through the sex known. scenes gives right. you that progression towards intimacy. Right, and exactly. not not all romance novels will do this. Some of them will. A lot of them will do. People start having sex earlier in the book or about fifty percent mark, but the emotional intimacy usually is not quite there mm -hmm. yet. This one just takes it a little bit further by having an earlier sex scene where there is no emotional intimacy. <laughs> there is outright, God, you're a horrible person, but I really want you. Uh, and and I think that's very effective in its own way. But that is how sex scenes are used. If they are done effectively in a romance novel, they should be showing the progression of the characters putting down the boundaries with one another and the progression of the emotional thing. And I think if you have a good romance novel with good sex scenes, you should not be able to take the sex scenes out. Right. I think if you take the sex scenes out, then you will have huge chunks in the emotional journey that these characters are going through. And that, that is what makes a good sex scene in a romance novel to me. 
And I think that that's very interesting in contrast with how um, this works in fanfic, which doesn't have quite the same expectation on the sex scenes to build intimacy because you're already familiar and somewhat intimate with the characters. I would say there's more variety. Yes, definitely. You can have that, but it's only one of many. Yeah, yeah. And certainly there's a lot more acceptability, I suppose, and of the PWP, the porn without plot. Uh, but for me, I think I prefer it when fanfic has sex scenes that, again, you can't remove them easily. But and that's I a personal thing, and there's a lot more spread. Right. Exactly. And I think that um, for, for our fanfic tentpole, we were actually um, struggling a little bit this week because we really wanted to feature a few FF works. And there are fewer explicit FF works in fandom than there are than there are MM. So we struggled a little bit to find one that we all found compelling. So what we're going to do instead this week is each of us are going to talk briefly about a fic that we really enjoyed. Yes, we are featuring uh, for this tentpole the entire genre of FF fanfiction <laughs> because it deserves a spotlight shined on it. It does. Yes. Uh, shall I start or would one of you like yes. to start? We'll no, All right. So uh, the FF fic that I particularly like is a fic called Bird in the Hand by November Smith. And it is a cis swap fic of uh, two characters from Les Mis in a modern AU. And just FYI, I have no idea how to pronounce any of the names from anyone from Les Mis. <laughs> so I'm just going to say these names as I say them in my head and then you can all laugh at me. Anjolras and Grantaire? Grantaire, yes. I think, look, I think because it's Anjolras. Anjolras, okay. But honestly, in this fandom, they are usually written modern day America. So yeah. who knows how no they're meant American to be pronounced. pronounced. Great. So no. in this fic, they're women and they're lesbians and there's fisting. It's <laughs> wonderful. And they do some like really sweet and delicate character work too. I've never read Les Mis. I think I saw one of the movies once. I listen to the soundtrack sometimes. I don't really know anything about them <laughs> as a character and I don't really read anything in the fandom either. <laughs> um, so what is it about this like, particular fic that you think the sex in it works? Um, I liked the amount of character work that was in it. I liked the sort of unusual dynamic that they had in it mm -hmm. and also like they have like a little bit of discussion about i guess we can classify it under female sexual health because mm -hmm. for some women it is super hard to orgasm mm -hmm. and there's nothing wrong with that and for other women it's super easy to orgasm and they can come like five times one after another and in this fic one of the the characters has a hard time coming and the other one comes like in 10 seconds and feels kind of weird and self-conscious about it and so they actually have like a a outright discussion about like how it's fine and like every everything's great That's it's really sweet i liked it a lot yeah yeah i've got some things to say about the way fanfic engages with sex and sexual health and sexual realism but we'll talk about that a bit later yeah uh so my uh ff fic that i'm going to talk about is not just one fic but basically the entire works of a writer <laughs> in a fandom uh and if you read much in the way of ff you may have come across this this is the entire works of the writer called talanu in the devil wears prada mm. so she or he or they, I do not actually know, writes a lot of uh, Andy Miranda thick in Devil Wears Prada fandom. There is one particularly long and famous one called Truth and Measure, which I think is, it's epic. I think it's about 300,000 <laughs> words or something like that. Uh, Casey, you might, you might <laughs> know that, uh, or not. But it is uh, quite a famous one in the fandom, but Talina who's written heaps and heaps and heaps, and most of them are sexually explicit. So why does and that work? Like, why do those sex scenes work well? In the longer fic, I think it's because there is usually an element of someone discovering or exploring their mm. sexuality. Okay. Uh, and they're very explicit. The sex scenes are described in great detail. And there's something quite joyous about them. Like, there's, you know, we talk about, you know, oh, sex, we shouldn't talk about sex as dirty. But, I mean, the dirtiness of them is kind of married to this sense of joy and awakening and two people being very compatible mm -hmm. and discovering how good they can make each other feel. Uh, so if you are interested, there is a short, short-ish fic called Oral Histories, which is an outtake from a longer, uh, from the prize fight verse, I think, which is fairly short, 
very sick sexy if you would like to see if this is maybe the kind of thing you'd like to read i would recommend that one mm -hmm. but yes the entire oeuvre of Talano in general <laughs> west prada there you go and i think that that's one of the real classic ff pairings in fandom at large devil wears prada and glee i think with the two that you mentioned as really being the main mm. i would say also what's the marvel tv show that has lesbians uh dc i think i think is it it's DC? um yes. supergirl has had it's um, not just quite, supergirl it's, a... it's um oh um, legends yes yes i think so anyway there's a couple of those as well that actually have women in it and merlin where they had the Gwen Morgana pairing for ages. But if Femslash is pretty small fandom, even when it's a subset of a big fandom. And I think that my fic that I wanted to talk about is a long fic because it's me. Classic. 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 It's only like novel length. It's only 125K. Um, That's actually respectable and I'm surprised. Right? I'm genuinely I surprised right now. <laughs> I don't actually know if it's finished. Um, but... It is also a cis swap fic. It's uh, John Sherlock. And I think it's also interesting that I feel like a lot of the time there aren't as many excellent female characters in media to grab onto in yep. order to make an FF pairing work, particularly two of them who have good chemistry. It's hard to come by. Yes. Yes. Which is why, again, Gwen Morgana and Andy Miranda, people kind of seize on the few examples that they find. But this fic is called How the Mouth Changes Its Shape by Breathed Out. And it is a 1950s period AU with period lesbian politics, including the butch femme dichotomy. Oh, wonderful. And it's super well researched and it includes a bunch of cool examinations of how those categories harmed real lesbians in that era. But the thing about the sex scenes were that it did the slow burn thing really well. You had these two characters and the personalities of John and Sherlock did not change very much. So you've got one kind of very straightforward, reasonable, day-to-day -day kind of person and one nonsensical, dramatic, enigmatic human being. Neither of them understand the slightest little thing about each other and they can't <laughs> read each other. And so you flip back and forth between two perspectives for ages and ages with them both super attracted and turned on by one another and both thinking the other one would never want me. And so when they do end up having sex, it's very dramatic and it works very well because of the weight of need behind both of them, which I think is something that you see in professional fic as well as in fanfic, but it's particularly beloved of fanfic. Uh, so you mentioned a thing and I just want to like touch on it a little bit more about how FF might be less popular because there aren't that many female characters. And I think just from like my personal experience and my own personal assessment, I would think that that is true. For me also, like the reason that I go more for MM ships, it could be like tied into the gender stuff that I've been going through lately. In case any of our dear listeners don't follow me on Twitter, I came out as non-binary a couple months ago. I have been having some gender feels that I didn't really realize were gender feels for a while. And I know that I personally have had a hard time identifying with a lot of the female characters in media because they're not that dynamic, because I don't see myself represented. And when I do see female characters, a lot of the times they're the sort of female characters who make me hate the female parts of myself. And I think that might be kind of related like if we see women characters that we don't like that make us hate ourselves then of course we're going to shy away from them i, I think that that's a very personal it is personal to that yeah. like uh, my reaction to terrible char female characters is frequently to steal them and be like fuck you i'm gonna fix this i i identify with that alcohen <laughs> a lot of why there is more femme slash coming out now is because there's been part of a shift of fandom towards writing for ships that are acknowledged and supported by canon mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and because there are now a lot more tv shows movies books that have ff relationships yes. within them you know bisexual or lesbian female characters um those are the ones where the the fandoms have left onto them so glee had you know canonical ff supergirl has had canonical ff relationships um devil was Prada did not but a lot of the you know, what you think of as migratory femme slash fandom will go for ones where they are seeing them, you know, 
where people might, who may identify as women who love women are seeing themselves represented on screen and they will move the fandom there. Whereas, you know, what we think of as, I guess, migratory juggernaut MM fandom has traditionally just sort of gone with whatever, like it's not needed any canonical basis for it and it's just gone for the big MM ships. Well, and that brings us to something that I'd love to talk about, which is the context of sex in fic in general and particularly how it's changed over time. I think that fanfic mm. has had this reputation for a very long time for being that smutty place. Mm -hmm. And there has been explicit sex in fic for a very long time, since Kirk Spock days. Mm. But I think that if you read the old classic Kirk Spock smut, and then you come through the Due South and Stargate fandoms that kind of sprang from that, and compare that to the types of things that get written today in, say, Voltron as the most modern fanfic and go back through the anime fandoms and yaoi while you're in there, they're all very different sex scenes. Is mm. that also true in romance? Is style in erotica a thing that changes uniformly over time? Or is it about conversations in communities who are writing and reading amongst each other? Style in... Look, I actually have not read a lot of romance, like pro-romance. Mm but from what I have read and from what I've heard about discussions within the community, yes, there has definitely been a stylistic shift in the way in which sex scenes are written. And part of it is to do with the way in which, um, especially heterosexual romance novels have had their um, acceptable dynamics change. Like there used to be a lot of stuff that bordered a lot more on Dubcon, a lot of things to do with, oh, the version being ravished, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and Messi is now holding up some perfect books she would like to talk about in this yeah. context, I think. Macy is waving. What is Macy waving? Anne McCaffrey. Macy's waving. <laughs> Macy's waving Anne McCaffrey books at us. Please stop. Oh, no. Look at this cover. <laughs> what is that cover? Oh, my God. Ooh, Look at this cover. Like Do you guys want like to describe? Holdover from okay, I'm gonna, cover? I have to describe the cover for our dear <laughs> listeners. Can you hold it a little bit to the side so I can see it more? So this Anne McCaffrey book, it's Restory. Is that yep. it? Yep. And it is a sort of androgynous person with their arms crossed looking brutally off into the distance and there's a giant spaceship behind them and there's a planet behind that and it's not that great she is naked and wrapped very sparingly in bandages and oh yes you can just about see her belly button through them because they're transparent oh yes transparent bandage is wonderful i'm sure they do so their job well the reason i'm waving Anne mccaffrey at you is because Anne mccaffrey is not super explicit but she does have sex on the page and this is a very classic um what 60s 70s sci-fi i guess mm, 70s 80s 80? yeah yeah 70s mm. 80s and she's super rapey oh yeah mm. and I, I i kind of flicked through these the books that i have here are restaurie which is a out of print first book that mccaffrey had out and Dragonflight, because I have an Anne McCaffrey problem. I found the first sex scenes in each of these books. Both of them involve a fade to black and then the man regretting how brutally he claimed her virginity. Gross. That's now yeah, that's that a style. Like, that would be that would be basically com comparable to what was happening in romance at that time. And then we compare this to a beautiful artistic sex scene that I pasted into our Slack earlier. Yay! From it's the, the tiger's, tiger's daughter. daughter. Yes! <laughs> that was so good. That was so, like, beautiful and delicately written and also still hot. It was very it delicate, and I think that's one of the things that you see, like, if you think about explicit sex scenes in something like genre novels and explicit sex scenes in, um, in fic, it's beautiful, you know, the, the books might be beautiful, they're a lot more euphemistic. Right. Like, you're not going to see very many cocks on the page outright <laughs> described as cocks, let's be honest. Yes. Um, but there'll be lots of things about, oh, I felt this way, and here's me, you know, describing how I feel, and here's me comparing you to the night sky, and things like that. So you get a sense of what's going on, and it is explicit, but it's explicit in a very euphemistic and uh, artistic kind of way. <laughs> Can I read the particular sentence? Yes. Sure. Okay. This is a scene of two young lesbians exploring each other for the first time. Gods, but the sight of that part of you. It too was beautiful, pink and glistening, like an orchid slick with dew. 
That part of you. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I mean, sure. I mean, yeah, it's 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 an explicit comparison. Like you get a definite sense of what she's describing, but it's just so coy at the same time. <laughs> There's lots of throbbing and slick. Yeah, it's not as enjoyable when you read it out loud. Oh wait, did you say slick? Did you mean lubricant? I did not, because they are two girls and they are very very turned on it's it's a self-lubricating not butthole i'm just trying to hit all of the uh the drinking game points for this one really i mean we did have we have gotten most of them and you're you're right macy in that there's been a definite trend and swing in fandom sex scenes as well and again i haven't read much of the old old um sort of kirk spock era kind of thing but if you're thinking about yes i mean like due south and stargate going through to modern day fandom there are trends and things going from you know unrealistic sex scenes where yes we'll just spit in our hand and that's oh enough God. lubricant uh to Gross. this trend still for better realist- than the soap. to very realistic sex scenes where you have to show condoms like in porn and you, you know what's more realistic is an awkward sex scene where maybe it's not that great the first time and people get a you know, cramp in their foot <laughs> yeah they've got cramps or things you know and it's all just sort of like it's sort of like more literary and I wouldn't say gritty, but like it's more sort of like here's here's how it's real. Yes. Um, and then you've got things like the height of Harry Potter fandom, where it was just like this is my id, let me show it to you, and almost anything would go. It didn't have to be realistic; it could just be, you know, we're in this for enjoyment. Um, and now you've got modern day fandom where there is still some some of that, where sex in fandom in fanfic can just be about id uh, and indulgence and pleasure, but you also have this slight edge of puritan puritan. Yes. Judgment, I would say. Absolutely. Where you can't have certain types of sex, or if you do have them, then people have to, like, on the page feel bad about them. And it's just. Respectability politics, really. But yeah, it's respectability politics is getting into the sex scenes of fan fiction, which, from my point of view, I think is a pity. It's fascinating to sit on Tumblr and listen to the young'uns, because they are young'uns, even by our not so lofty standards debate whether AO3 should ban underage Hmm. and it's like friends you don't understand the history I mean it's a whole big discussion about the role of pornography and at what point does erotic sex in fiction become you know pornography and people who will outright very cheerfully say oh I'm writing some porn and things like that and and to what extent does someone's taste in pornography you know, do you judge them for that? Because clearly that's what they like in real life, which isn't just a ludicrous assertion. But yeah, there's a whole there's a whole lot of stuff but, to explore and, there. I think we should probably move on from that. Well, and specifically, I just wanted to like add on one point there. It, a lot of the time it's that they're talking about it from a perspective of we should never be writing about people, underage people having sex ever, which kind of erases the experiences of a lot of people who have had sex without being 18. And also underage... Underage at the you know, being less than eighteen is American. Yes, it's like yeah. in Australia, the age of consent is sixteen. Right. The first time I hit this online, everyone was like, "Oh my god, you can't write about seventeen-year-olds having sex." I was like, "What? <laughs> Why not? Yeah, <laughs> if I've been at the age of consent for a year, like, what's wrong with you?" Uh, anyway, um, so we talked a bit about um, you know what the use of sex in fic and fanfic and things like that. And Macy, I think you wanted to very briefly to wrap us off, ask some questions. Yes. What are we doing? Why? What are we trying to do when we decide between... Okay, so I think there's, there's two decisions that you make when thinking about sex in your book, let's say. Let's set aside fanfic for a moment. Uh, first, do the characters have sex? Second, do you write it in what detail? Okay, so you want to talk about my book in particular? No, no, at one's book. One's, One, book, one's, one's book. book. One's book. Because in my books, yes, they have sex. <laughs> yes! And so this is, this is interesting. It is an interesting choice. And you guys have been there for a lot of the decision-making and agonizing and editing rounds mm-hmm. of my book in particular, which was written with fairly explicit sex scenes. And then I had a self-doubt uh, panic and took out half, half of them when we, were think- when we decided that we're going to try and sell it more as a fantasy book rather than a romance novel in a secondary world because of the genre assumptions around what mm-hmm. you can and can't sell in that. But I guess from my original vision of what the book is, yes, I wanted to have the sex be explicit in it. And it wasn't just because I'm really proud of the fact that I write good sex scenes. You do. You do. 
Yeah. But I do. Didn't you get asked to put them back in? Yes, my agent basically said, <laughs> "What are you doing?" I love your agent. <laughs> <You're laughs> agent This makes me so happy, and I wanted to mention that actually because I think that we are seeing a resurgence of queer explicit sex being bought in SFNF books and mm. not always big five deals but this is why i'm super excited to see what happens with kellen sparrow's uh, yes novel. i'm so oh, excited yes. for oh, yeah. i'm so excited for that book he sold to carl engel i want to say carl engel uh, and, yeah, and it sounds amazing and every time kellen talks about it he's like yeah there's lots of women in this one y'all and i'm like yes please 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 give me this book it sounds so good <laughs> yeah. i i just wanted to say i tend to write less sex in my books, uh, but I'm trying to, or at least like I have a couple books, uh, the next books that I'm working on right now are more sexual, or at mm -hmm. least like the people in them are more sexual and have more sex. And for me, it's about, like, I love the the discussions we've been having about character work. And I think that sex makes you vulnerable in mm. a way that very little else in the world does and that's a really good way to get to characters who may have strong personalities who may be like resisting being vulnerable with each other it gets them to connect on at least one level and then it opens doors in for other aspects of their relationship hmm. mm. you actually... can i have a corner please Yes, have your corner. Freya's, Freya's first corner. Oh, yeah, Macy, Macy, oh, go first. Yeah. Because you just gave me maybe an epiphany. Oh, Because I've, I've been toying with... Um, so I'm currently working on a fake marriage book, nice. essentially. Excellent, good. Uh, because lesbian fake marriage and uh, magic is my channel. Hell yeah, hell yeah. And I haven't been sure. I'm like, maybe they should kiss at some point. Oh no, they should. Oh, they, they should <laughs> I feel like okay, they're gonna have like a sex scene here and one here and one here, and they're all gonna do something different. Well, and Macy's like, maybe they should kiss. <laughs> listen, listen, and I'm like, maybe they should hold hands. <laughs> okay, Which, unless you are writing Vulcans, that is not a sex scene. I'm sorry. Oh, hey. Um, no, my epiphany, um, which you will have to help me with, Freya, because I'm going to throw myself upon your tender mercies uh, in a couple of weeks. A, uh, on this point A. Um, point, I had one, which was, you were just saying, Alex, that taking two characters who are somewhat argumentative, shall we say, and inducing them to vulnerability. I have a point in the middle of my book where I know that there needs to be a degree of vulnerability between these two characters who are my punchy disaster bisexual and my Slytherin pillow princess. Maybe this is how I break those barriers mm -hmm. down. Maybe serotonin does a lot of shit to your brain. Like you just make them each have an orgasm yeah. in proximity to each other, and they're well set. because I was already intending to like flat out steal the scene from Freya's captive prince book in the captive prince fic when they have a banquet. Apart from less public fucking. Look, running away from fancy parties to have like sex in a corner is my number one thing. They are running <laughs> away from as a... many books as you like. They are going to run away from a fancy party to save one of them from being poisoned to death. But there's no reason that in the throes of relief after doing so They can't fucking bang. Yeah. And I was I was saying that that's what the first sex scene in Unnatural Vice starts. It's people who right. are not at a right. point emotionally where they trust each other but the fact that they have sex is a it puts a crowbar into their chinks and it creates a vulnerability mm. which then gets explored throughout the mm. book those good good social bonding hormones i'm going to have to th mm. think i am going to have to think about this and you can help me later and, and, and as you say you're using this idea of that they are coming off a very emotionally heightened situation mm -hmm. so the threat of death mm -hmm. and you guys have heard me talk about how i have this terrible tendency to plant my sex scenes after people have received bad injuries or been in a life-threatening situation <laughs> because that you've had heightened things and i do and i've just hit the uh, first sex scene in my new book and I've realized that yet again, I have to keep track of like three injuries oh, no. a piece, which when you are blocking a sex scene is a bit awkward because <laughs> you're like, okay, so this person has to be on top because they've sprained their ankle. Or actually, I can't have you like do anything with, you know, great force here because you'll reopen that wound. <laughs> <laughs> this is like you can tell the romance author because they have at least yep. two art yep. dolls on their desk. No, no, I just, 
I'm a doctor. I'm very good at anatomy. I can just move people around. It's fine. But you had a corner. Um, so this comes, yes, to Freya's helpful tips for making your sex scene do a lot of character lifting corner. Just, are you sure, Freya? Are you sure, Freya? It's just going to be the tip. Oh, oh well. Very bad. Very bad. <laughs> <laughs> Is it uh, just you're, just you're dead to me. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am very proud of myself. <laughs> well, we have already hit Marry two me in real life. <laughs> One of which is, yeah, is the idea of um, using heightened emotion and creating intimacy. But honestly, I think some of this is just going back to what I've said before is that, and what you were saying, Alex, about using the sex scenes to create vulnerability and to advance a relationship. For me, I really like using sex scenes to pull a character further down their journey in a way that does not actually have much to do with sex necessarily. So for example, a character who um, is not good at asking for the, what they want, who is very self-denying and whose part of their journey needs to be about uh, assertiveness or opening themselves up to, um, you know, being honest about what they want. You can use a sex scene to great effect with that because that's what you are showing. If you have somebody who's now, it doesn't believe in themselves as desirable or doesn't have very much self-worth. You can use sex scenes to advance that. And that's why I think my characters talk so much in the sex scenes because so much is happening that is not necessarily to do with sex, mm -hmm. but it ha is happening in a sexual context. Uh, and it is a stand-in for, you know, a, a different kind of experience that is showing them something about themselves or is changing something about themselves. And it doesn't have to be a sex scene that does that. But because emotions run high and people are very aware of what they are feeling and there is that vulnerability there, you can use it to dredge some stuff up, yep. which then changes the character. And then they go into their next scene, which is not a sex scene, um, changed in some way. Yeah. And it is not just to do with the ways in which they have been, you know, had some bruises left or whatever. I think that that is really useful and I am going to find ways to make use of all of those things. Good. Excellent. I'm glad my helpful tips could be helpful. Just just the tips. Just, just the, the tips. tip. This is very oh. bad. I'm cancelling the podcast also. <laughs> but that is what a good that is what a good sex scene does. Do we wanna give our listeners? Macy, since you have yes. the poshest voice in the poshest voice that you possibly have, I would love oh, can for you. I? Oh, am I allowed to use my radio voice? Yes, please the, sexy radio the voice? sexiest, poshest radio voice that you have. Read this terrible oh my sex. God or this line of terrible sex that we have they're together they're um they're both part of the same quote and um, this is from i can tell you this is from the seventh function of language by laurent binet and, and this was a uh, short list of the bad sex award for 2017 macy take it away you will regret letting me do this in this voice <laughs> i already do trust me i already do I'm just going to say, because I'm going to die while Macy does this, I'm just going to silently perish. Good night, listeners. Thank you for joining us. Alrighty. Kill us all now, Macy. Go. He put his hands on Bianca's shoulders and slips off her low-cut top. Suddenly inspired, he whispers into her ear as if to himself, I desire the landscape that is enveloped in this woman, a landscape I do not know but that I can feel. And until I have unfolded that landscape, I will not be happy. Bianca shivers with pleasure. Simon whispers to her with an authority that he has never felt before. Let's construct an assemblage. No, absolutely not. <laughs> Honest to God, though, I now want Aslat to use the words, let's construct an assemblage in like a robot bonus pick. Oh, me too. Oh, because she could, you know, she could make that hot. She could, and I because she's really there. sincerely regret that that is true. <laughs> Good night, listeners. Good night. Listeners. Good night. Good night. <laughs>
and we are doing another Q&A extravaganza. So this is your chance to make us dance for your amusement and answer whatever fiendish questions you have. We would prefer them all in one location this time for ease of answering, so please email your questions to serpentcast at gmail.com. We'll be recording on October 12th, so that's the deadline for sending them in. Of course, we also have some more great topics to talk about in our upcoming episodes. On the next episode, two weeks hence, on September 26th, we'll be putting on our grifter hats and discussing everything related to heists and con artists. One of our temples will be the film Ocean's 8, so if you want to prepare in advance or just want to stare at Kate Blanchett in a secret jumpsuit, you can watch that. And if you have a friend who's into stuff like that, maybe give them a heads up. In the meantime, feel free to continue the conversation with us. Other questions, comments, breathless adulations? Contact us at serpentcast at gmail.com, at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr, or join in the conversation on our fan Discord chat, which is linked in the About the Show page of our website. And lastly, if you enjoy the podcast, please remember to review us on iTunes. And by the way, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to proposition you. Goodbye.